I coached soccer for seven years while I was a math teacher. And um, one of the most memorable moments that I had as a coach actually happened in a classroom. It had rained this one day. It was while I was coaching this JV soccer team and along with uh, helping out the, the varsity coach of the soccer team. And so we brought all the kids into this classroom, my, my co-coach's, you know, room, and showed them some Premier League, you know, videos of some amazing soccer players in Europe and, you know, just kind of the cream of the crop, the Premier League. I'll never forget, we were sitting in the back just kind of monitoring everybody, make sure they're not, you know, goofing off or whatever. And, and one little freshman was sitting in front of us. You know, he was, he was freshman, typical freshman, you know, didn't have, you know, strong connections with any of the cool upperclassmen that were, you know, starring on the varsity team. He was kind of like, you know, second string JV at that time. Just leans back his head and says, boring. We looked at each other and first of all, we we're just shocked that this kid had the guts to say that out loud. And for all these other people that are loving soccer. And then we just died laughing. So I never forget that moment because... You know, he was expressing what he was feeling, that something was boring, not entertaining, not very cool, not very interesting, exciting. Now, as you see from the video, oftentimes we feel that way about church or maybe about our relationship with God. There's not a whole lot going on. You come in Sunday morning, you hear some stuff, maybe some people sing some songs, they share some weird stories, you know, you go home. The question I want to pose today is, what is God really like? What is God all about? And what is church, what is it supposed to be about? Are we just kind of doomed to a boring existence of following God and we're missing out on all the fun things that all those people out there that aren't following God get to do? Is our, you know sacrifice to follow Jesus, just giving up on fun. Giving up on all the, all the cool things in life that other people get to do because they don't follow Jesus. Or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You're just totally, you know, you, maybe you just walked into church and you came with a friend and you're just wondering, hey, is there anything cool about Jesus at all? I mean, why would anyone want to follow God if there's all kinds of these rules and you've met a lot of Christians that are boring and church people can be kind of weird and What's the deal? This is what we're going to be talking about in our new series, as Neil said, The Partying God. Again, please get one of these books. They're free. If you want to help us cover the costs, you know, put $5 in that basket. Really appreciate it. I also just want to say with a passage today, um, I want to promote, promote this book. It's called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's an awesome read about the passage that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm borrowing a lot from him because he's got some excellent insights into the passage. I just want to mention that as well. So we're going to be in this series for a few weeks and um, talking about what is God like? Is there a party? Does God have anything to do with parties? What is the deal? So the passage we're going to turn to today is a passage that is Jesus talking to a bunch of religious guys. They were called the Pharisees, and they, were, they had pretty much had their act together. They were successful they were honored in their culture. They had a pretty good life. And they also had what most people thought a pretty good thing going with God. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. Okay, Luke 15, verse 11. It's also going to be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible or your phone. And uh, we're going to start in verse 11. This is the, the parable of the prodigal son 
which some of your Bibles will say. Tim Keller calls it the prodigal God. Some Bibles say the two sons. Okay, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And this is Jesus speaking. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So what does the Bible say about what God is like? What what does the Bible tell us about partying? Well, the first point that we see is that everyone wants to party. Everyone wants a party, right? The son in this story is looking for the good life. Whatever's going on at home to him seems a little dull, and he wants adventure, and he's willing to do just about anything to get it. Right? He asks for his inheritance up front. Now, you've got to imagine what this is like. Okay? You go home, you know, college students on your next break, and you say, hey, mom and dad, love you, but um, is there any chance you could just give me now an estimate on, on what I'll get after you're dead? You know, I mean, if you have to sell the house, cool, that's fine. You can, you can downsize. I mean, I'm off to college. Maybe you have an empty nest now. I mean, great, you know. I don't think that would go over too well with mom and dad, okay? He's asking for his share of the inheritance. You don't do that, right? You don't ask for something like that. That's something that they, you know, give to you after you're dead. It's a huge slap in the face. But this guy's bold. He knows what he wants. Uh, in that culture, the elder son, considering that there's two, would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance because the elder son got double all the others. So since there are only two, if you do a little math, it's two-thirds for him and it's one-third for this younger son. So I just point that out to say it's a sizable chunk of the family estate. Now, there probably wasn't Bank of America back then. One, because America didn't exist. Okay? <laughs> two, because there weren't really banks. All right? So that means that all of the family's wealth was tied up in property, right, in possessions. So they had livestock. They had, you know, houses and land and grain and barns and things like that 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 mattered to help keep the family going. You know, and depending on the size of their estate, they might have hired people. This guy might have had to lay people off from their jobs. He had to liquidate a ton of assets. It would have taken a ton of work. And so in one little phrase, you know, Jesus just drops this bomb that someone would understand in that culture that the father divided his property. He liquidated it and gave it to this son. Pretty amazing thing, if you think about it. Um, just to emphasize this point once more, I'm borrowing this from Tim Keller. It's, it's totally accurate. In the Greek, you know, the Greek, okay. But there's two words in verse 12. If you look back at that verse, it says, Father, give me a share of the property. And then it says in the next part of the voice, he divided his property among them. There are actually two different words used there, which is really interesting because the first word is really what we would, they would say for property, but the second word is life. The father divided his life. It's been translated as property because if you wrote life, it'd be a little weird in terms of the English. But the point is to emphasize it was very costly for the father to do this. Okay? And what happens just in a matter of a sentence or two, it describes that the younger son takes all this money and he lives hard. Right? He just goes after it. He manages to, to spend all of this third of the father's wealth, right, in what seems to be a short period of time. He spends it all. He goes hard. He doesn't care about his family. He's, he's all about pleasure. And you have to honor his honesty in some ways. He knows what he wants. He's not afraid to hurt people to get it, you know, in 
That's what he wants. He's going for it. He's honest at least about who he is. Now, many of us are similar in some ways, right? We all do inherently want the good life. We don't want a bad life. We're not waking up in the morning thinking, oh, man, I hope this is a horrible day. I hope I crash my car and I hope I flunk my test. I hope my kids are just screaming bloody murder, you know, to wake me up in the morning. You know, most of us aren't thinking that, okay, as we're planning ahead, as we're thinking about careers, we're thinking about how we're going to raise our children. We're not, we're not hoping for the worst. We want good things. We want to experience fun. And we want to have memories made in our lives that, that matter. And this younger son's just going for it. He's saying, this is the path to fulfillment and fun, and I'm going to do it. And for us, we plan our lives around that. We think about, hey, what are we going to do this weekend? You talk to your spouse, hey, you know, what are we going to do on my day off? Or, hey, we need to plan the next vacation. Or, hey, what am I going to do on spring break this year? Go on a harbor mission trip, okay? Our, Our brains crave new things. They crave novelty, right? Things that are new and exciting. Our brain, like... Is, is attracted to those things. It's one of the things that makes drugs so uh, addicting. So this, this is a part of all of us. But oftentimes, we decide to pursue this apart from God. And part of that reason is because we see God as someone that's kind of dull. So there's no wonder that people don't want to go to the church because they see life, the purpose of life, is to be happy. That we're here to, to find fulfillment and happiness and to have good experiences for the short time that we're on this earth. And man, church is like the farthest thing from that in many of our minds. And obviously there's a, there's a continuum here, okay, of, of where we're at with that understanding or, or that kind of spectrum. The younger son in the story is obviously way down here. But all of us have this desire for good things, for excitement, for fun. We want to party. We like, we like to party. Okay? I borrowed that. Sorry. Okay. So, what's the problem then? I mean, if we all have this desire, shouldn't we just fulfill it? Wouldn't it be just the right thing to do just to, just to go after whatever it is that's going to make us happy? And how does this relate to God then? I mean, hey, if he's put these desires in us, why would he then squelch them? And make us follow these rules and keep us from having all these things that other people are enjoying without any guilt. Well, let's keep reading. Starting in verse 14. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Interesting, the choice of pigs here in the Jewish culture, that's a no-no for eating. That's what he's reduced to. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You can't eat a pig when you're Jewish. And interesting that he's just longing to eat what the pigs were eating. The problem is, is that the party never lasts. The party never lasts. It doesn't ultimately give us what we are longing for. Man, it really seems like it will. But it never totally delivers on the promise that the party that the world is offering makes. Look at this song. The party didn't last. He spent everything. He ran out of money. 
And the point isn't just, okay, if he had had more money, right, you know, maybe he would have continued. Eventually, he's going to come to this conclusion that it's not satisfying him. And even if he had had all the money in the world, ultimately, death swallows up every party. The party never lasts. Ultimately, we all will die, and the party will stop. And this party took something from him. This party that he went after to meet his needs, it didn't give him life. It just took away from what he had and from who he was. He's been lowered from this son of honor to someone that's wanting to eat the food that are given to the pigs. The same is true for us, right? The party doesn't deliver, and it's, it doesn't last. You ever notice that how, you know, we're always wanting that next thing in life. We go to, you know, some event, and we think, oh, we're so excited about this, and it comes to the end of it, and you know, it's just the next day. You ever thought about why God made us so that we would eat food? Isn't it interesting? We, have, we just have to keep eating this food over and over again. But we're never satisfied. It's not like you have this great meal, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, great. I never have to eat again. Awesome. That was so good. Oh, it was just delicious. That doesn't happen. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that there's something about even just food, what's core to keeping us alive is pointing to that it's not actually going to satisfy what we want. It's not going to last. I don't know if you know Adrian Peterson. He's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, the past year, he's a running back for the Vikings, excellent running back. He's been in a lot of controversy because he, he was um, incident with his son where he was, he was spanking him with a, or whipping him with a uh, thatch, and it was, just blew up if you know the news. Okay, so anyways, he recently had a, a crazy 30th birthday party, okay? And part of it was just to kind of take him out of this place of, uh, you know, just kind of depression or despair in this past year of being taken out of his, his job at running uh, the ball for the Minnesota Vikings. And, and part of it is to celebrate he's 30. You know, 30 years is, is a marker for running backs. It's usually when their career starts to decline. So he wanted to have this huge bash, all right? So he, he, he gives this themed party. It's like an Arabian-themed party. And he sends out invites. I think it was like 320-plus people. Jamie Foxx comes and is the DJ for the party. He buys everyone planes tickets, first-class plane tickets to come, and, and pays for their hotels to stay in Houston where his home is. Okay? This is no ordinary party. Right? He, he comes into the party on a camel. He's riding a camel as his grand entrance for, hey, everybody, welcome to the party. They have, it's like this, they have a tent city like, set up, and everyone's wearing these Arabian you know, garb. He, he's wearing a python around his neck as his, like, you know, Boa, you know, literally. Um, and the party, you know, it basically, you know, goes all night, and there's all these different crazy, you know, parts of it, and, and, and you know, I think they had an elephant there and a lemur, and, and it's like some kind of monkey thing. I don't even know what that is. And um, just like the craziest party you can imagine, like no expense spared. And then the next morning, what happens? Oh, party's over. That was fun. The party never lasts. Any state of euphoria that we experience or excitement in life, it's going to end. Is there a party 
that will last forever. And is there a party that is greater than any other party that's ever existed? Let's keep reading. Verse 17. Talking about the son now. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and put shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The biggest party of all is God's party. The greatest party is God's party. Everyone's invited to God's party. God says to everyone, this one's on me. I got this. God is inviting everyone to his party. He wants to party and his party is free. And he's spared no expense. And his party will last forever. And his party doesn't take, it gives. Look what happens in this passage. Everyone's invited to God's party. If there was someone that had deserved no, no, there was no, he had no, no right to be celebrated. It was this son who insulted his father. He basically spit in his face and said, I wish you were dead. I just want the money. Give me my money as inheritance as your son and I'm out of here. He didn't deserve anything but a rebuke harshly and then to be made a slave in his father's house. Isn't it interesting that that is not the picture that Jesus tells us of what God is like? Because God is good. The father runs. How did he even know that he was coming when, since he was such a long way off? Because he's been looking. He's been waiting for his son to return. He may have even sent people out to search for him. That's likely possibility given the two parables that precede this story. Running is not a, a thing that an a, a honored man in that culture did. You know, that was, that was, he was looking a little silly doing that. But he doesn't care because he loves his son. He goes crazy kissing him and hugging him. He doesn't, do you notice, he doesn't even let him finish the apology. Did you see that in the passage? He cut him off before he could make his last line about being a servant. The son wants to say, right, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He cuts him off before he even gets to that point and just says, oh, enough of that nonsense that you're talking about. Let's celebrate. See, this is what God is like. God is inviting every person to his party. God desires that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
God is with open arms inviting every person, regardless of who they are, of what they've done. That is the point of this story. Everyone is invited. There's no prerequisite. God just wants everyone to be a part of his party, be a part of his family, to return and know his goodness. Everyone's invited. God is ready to accept anyone that comes to his party. He wants everyone there. He wants his family back. The second thing we see is that God is the ultimate host. God takes care of everything. He provides for everyone. You don't have to bring anything to God's party. You call up, you know, you're invited to a party. Hey, what can I bring? God says, this one's on me. I got this. The party's free for us because God is the ultimate host. The son comes home with nothing. He's probably dirty from feeding pigs and trying to get their food and fighting them for it. He's, he's you know, totally broke. And more inwardly, there's a huge sense, I'm sure, of failure, shame, guilt, not an easy thing to go back when you've totally blown it after insulting your family and taking a third of the, of the family's wealth and, and just squandering it. But the father, notice, provides everything for the son. He gives him a robe. He gives him clothes. He gives him this ring. He, he puts shoes on his feet. He takes care of everything. He, he, he takes care of all the food, the fattened calf, right, to make sure that everyone's going to be fed. We don't need to bring anything to God's party. You know, Billy Graham, it's come as you are. God's taking care of everything. And there's no way we could ever pay for this party that God is providing. I mean, think about it. If you were invited to Adrian Peterson's party, okay? The first class plane ticket, the hotel, this Arabian garb, you know, all the stuff that would go into, you know, even just being a part of that. Many of you have been to weddings or will be going to weddings soon. It's not cheap, especially if they live far away. You know, you can drop $1,000 before you know it on plane tickets, you know, on the, on the suit you have to wear if you're standing up there in the front and trying not to faint, okay? It's expensive, okay? At God's party, you don't have to pay. So the party, though, someone does have to pay for the party. Someone does have to pay for the party, though. This costs the father greatly. He's already, he's already lost a third of his wealth. And now he spares no expense, though, when the son that's blown a third of his wealth comes home. The fattened calf is a big deal, okay? It's not like people were just eating meat all the time like we are in America back then, okay? Most people, especially lower classes or poor people, didn't have meat all that often. It was a big deal to have meat in the ancient Near East. And so killing the fattened calf is like you're preparing this animal for a long time. You know, you're fattening it up so that you have this one celebration where you have this awesome meal with meat and all kinds of other stuff. Okay? The father's paying for that, even now that he's lost a third of his wealth. He puts the best robe. Did you notice that? The best robe. Whose was that, you think? The father's robe. Interesting that the father puts his own robe, most likely, on the son. To clothe him. He gives him a ring. Probably one of his too. He puts shoes on his feet. And these things are significant. Okay? Slaves didn't wear shoes back then. The father's saying, you're not a slave. You're my son. 
The robe signified inheritance. Like what did Joseph get when his father put that robe on him of, of many colors, or some people translate a long ham, like a double inheritance, like he was the oldest. It was a special favor of inheritance. What's the deal with the ring? It's authority, right? It's authority in his household. The father is fully restoring. So he's not just giving him what he needs to be a part of the party and take care of all the rations. He's speaking identity into the son of who he really is. He's giving it all back in the first moment that he sees him. The father spared no expense. And you know what? God spared no expense either. You know, God said, hey, when we turned away from God, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, it explains why this world's so messed up. The Bible recognizes that fully and says, the reason is because we turned away from God. We said, God, we're not going to do it your way. We want to do it our own way. And then what the Bible calls sin or evil entered the world through people. And so all through the Bible, it's just a story of God wants his family back. And you know what? God was going to do whatever it took to get them. Because they're his sons and daughters, and he loved them. And so what did he do? He gave his only son, Jesus. God spared no expense. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. See, we have an older brother, and his name is Jesus. And his death on the cross made a way for us to have a relationship with God. He took the penalty of our sin, and then he rose again, promising us eternal life and the favor of God. My wife and I celebrated our fourth anniversary this year, a couple weeks ago, and um, thank you. I have not done a great job in the past of, of being, you know, super romantic or doing a lot of, like, you know, sneaky special things, so I, I went big this year. So with some, some help of, of some friends, the bakers, I ordered uh, 200 roses and had them delivered to their house, and the night before, I, I told her we, I had a meeting. It was a lie. I think lies are okay in war and in, you know, and in, um, you know, surprises for your wife. So um, I kind of did have a meeting, though, too. I went and visited somebody else. We had a meeting. Um, uh, anyways, okay. So we, I had my friends, after we got all the flowers prepped, they, they brought them over to our house when we got back. We went into the city for that day and went down Newbury Street and did some fun stuff. And we came back, and there was one vase on the table when she walked in. She was like, oh, that's nice. You got me flowers. Oh, cool. Somebody brought it over. Nice. And then all the rest of them were in the living room. So when she walked in, as our son was screaming at the top of his lungs, she saw, you know, all the rest of the flowers that were there. It was like, you know, 17, you know, dozen roses. So it was cool. It was expensive. Okay. And one thing is you're not supposed to do is tell your wife, you know, how much it costs you to, like, you know, do, do something special. Because, but you know what? I don't care. The money doesn't matter because I want to be extravagant towards my wife. Because I love her and I want her to know that she's special. And I'm willing to spare no expense to, for her to know that she matters to me. Right? And that's God's heart. That's Jesus. Can you imagine how much love there was between God and his son? And to have to turn away from him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out. The answer to that question is so that he would have a much bigger family. He wouldn't have one son, but billions. 
and daughters too. That's the answer to that question. That's why Jesus was forsaken, so that we would not have to be. And God's party is the best party ever. Because it's going to last forever, and because it gives us life instead of taking it from us. The father restores his son. He speaks the identity over him. Right? He shows him love, acceptance. He raises him back up to a place of honor and belonging. All these needs that we have for, to know that we matter, to know that we are you know, significant, accepted, that we belong. The father is speaking those over his son. And God wants us to be filled with life. Boring church isn't church, guys. That's not church. Because walking with Jesus, he came to give us life and to give it to us the full. To joy and joy to the full. Abundant life. These are Jesus' words, not mine. That's what Jesus spoke. Anything less than that, we're selling God short. And we're believing something about him that is not true. God is the only one that can meet our deepest needs. Because every other party doesn't last. And it doesn't really satisfy. It's God's party that is going to help us know our identity. How we're going to make an impact on this world. Right? And have intimacy in relationships that we long to have. God's party will never end. The whole point is that we will be with God both now, but ultimately forever. And the party just keeps getting better. As the church becomes more and more the glorious bride that God wants it to be, there is going to be more joy and more life in his church until Jesus comes back to take his bride. And then the party is going to be magnified a millionfold. Because then all death and all pain and all sadness and every tear will be wiped away. And all of the old things will be gone and all of the new things of God's presence and fullness will come. Amen. It doesn't mean that we don't go through hard times in this life. But as we walk with Jesus, the, the thing is that our default mode is joy. Our default mode is not sadness. It's not longing. It's not just this, you know, fear, hopeful anticipation of that something good will one day come our way. No, our default in Jesus is joy. It's celebration. It's a party. That is what God wants to have us in our life. You realize Jesus had to be the most joyful person that ever walked this earth. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Jesus was full of joy. No wonder people were so attracted to him. He was a walking party. Right? Everywhere he went, amazing things were happening. Because Jesus' party was releasing life. Now, I'm not up to date on my Marvel superheroes. But I read some comics when I was a kid, and I loved the X-Men, and there was a you know, Saturday morning cartoon that was around when I was younger. I loved it. And the new movies when it came out, you know, I'm kind of a little geeky, and you know, I went to see them, and I was like, yeah, X-Men is cool. You know? But my understanding, and although it is limited, is that there are no superheroes that can heal someone else. Someone will probably correct me after the service. But our superhero doesn't just have powers to do cool stuff. He has power to release it in somebody else. To heal and not destroy. 
right? To build up and not tear down. You see, there's there's really only one superhero. His name's Jesus. And his powers are awesome because they're releasing God's party everywhere he goes. When we bring Jesus into something, as you saw with Amy's story, his party starts to happen. And it's pretty exciting when it does. All right. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I've tried this God party. It wasn't that great. You know, you're selling us on this a little bit. But, hey, I've been there, man. I tried that. I, you know, I prayed for someone. Or I did this. I did that. And God didn't show up. Or it didn't happen. Or that church just wasn't for me. You know, is there something that I missed, you know, or is it just, you know, you're just, you're just blowing a lot of hot air up there. Let's read the end of the story. This is in verse 25. We're going to pick up. His older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He's probably working hard out in the field. He heard music and dancing and called one of the servants over and asked, hey, you know, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. As his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, here's what God says in response to those questions. If church is boring, if you've tried it out, of where was God? See, the answer is that God is the life of the party. God is the life of the party. Sorry, Rob Gronkowski. There's only one person that can say, Yo soy fiesta. And it's Jesus. He is the party. And the son, the older son, has missed it. It turns out he's just as lost as the younger son was. Look at what happens in the story. His true colors come out, don't they? And his reaction to his brother returning. He doesn't celebrate because his bottom line is the money, is the inheritance, is the control. That's what he's wanting, right? He doesn't go to the party, which is a huge insult to his father in that culture. He addresses his father with complete disrespect and just saying, look, buddy, right? And he doesn't care about his brother at all. It's all about himself. He doesn't want to care about honoring his father or honoring his brother. There's no celebration in his heart because it's been years of just doing the right thing in order to get what he wanted, which wasn't the father. It was the inheritance also so that he could have control and get the things that he really wanted. See, some of us have related to God in that way. We've served God so that we'll get what we want. Because we see God up there as the one that controls. He pulls the the strings. You know, he's holding everything together. We know he's pretty powerful. And so we know we've got to do a little service to him. But we really want something else. 
not necessarily what he wants to give us. The way that we know that we're doing that is if when we get angry, we say to God what this brother said. Hey, God, I've obeyed you for all these years. How the heck could you let this happen? God, I've always tried to do the right thing. Why haven't you given me the job that I'm trying to get? God, I've always tried to do what's right. I've always tried to obey you. How come I haven't found my spouse yet? See, our anger reveals what it is that we're really wanting in life. What it is that our, par- our party really is. Because the party's what we want. And if we're just obeying God to get something else, then we've got a deep problem. Now, this problem is actually worse than the younger son in some ways. Because it's not readily apparent that we have a problem. And see, remember who the audience is in this story. It's the Pharisees. They're the ones that had it all together. The ones that were obeying every little law and even making rules so they wouldn't have a chance to break an actual rule. But they totally missed it. Because they missed the fact that God is the life of the party. Jesus is the only one that can say, Yo soy fiesta. It's him alone that can meet our needs. God, as John Piper says, is the gospel. It's, as Neil prayed earlier, salvation is Jesus. It's not just a ticket to heaven and then we get on with our life. It's a relationship with God that is the only thing that can give us life in this world and in the life to come. God is the life of the party. We're left not knowing what the older brother is going to do. It doesn't tell us what his decision was. If he repented or if he turned around and hit his father and some suspect maybe even killed him. Because that's what happened to Jesus from the hand of the Pharisees. There's a man named Don Arterburn who is a uh, psychology professor at Baylor University. And he gave a talk this summer that we went to on drug addiction. And he said, hey, what makes you okay has to keep you okay. So I want to slightly tweak that and say what makes you happy has to be able to keep you happy. Whatever makes you happy, whatever's giving you that thing that you're living for, that party that you really want, that has to be able to keep you happy too. And the trick is that there's only one person that can do that. And it's Jesus. God is the life of the party. The party is being part of his family. And allowing him to fill your life with joy. The more we turn away from any other party and saying, that's what I really want, or it's over here, or this is what I really want, that's the limiting factor for experiencing the joy and the life of Jesus. It's letting go of everything else that we say, I have to have this in order to be happy. When we let go, that's when we really let God in. And we have the party that will last forever. And God's party, everyone is invited. You never earn your way into God's party. It's a free gift available to everyone. 
And he paid the highest price for you to be there by giving his son, Jesus, to have you as a part of his family. Hey, guys, the party at the harbor is just starting because we're pursuing God. And we're going to say, Jesus, we're going to let go of everything else that keeps us from loving you fully and obeying your will and doing what you did. God is the life of the party. Let's pray. Father, Dad, we love you. You're an extravagant giver. You're an extravagant God, and you celebrate us. So, Father, I just pray, root down in us that your party is the greatest and that you are the life of the party. It's a relationship with you, God, that transforms our life, Lord, and makes us become the people that you are dreaming for us to become. Thank you for your great love, Lord. I pray that as we sing and respond, you would reveal what you are really like to us and break down every lie about what you're not. In Jesus' name.